time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Ich bin ein Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. Welcome back. Shut up. Welcome back to the Cold War, episode 235. <laughs> yes. Oh, fuck me. Listen, um, let me just get this right out there. Let me let me unzip it and flop it out for everybody. I think I'm over NATO. That's how we met. I'm over NATO. Yeah. I think we'll do these last two episodes, 235, 236 on there, and then fuck it. And just yeah, a reminder, because okay. a reminder right. for everyone who's like, why the fuck are you talking about NATO anyway? Um, the, the questions <laughs> I wanted to answer during the, this NATO series is the, the where and the why and the how. Mm-hmm. Try to work mm-hmm. out why and how NATO came into existence. Whose idea was it? Why did it go ahead? What were the motivations? Because the popular narrative about NATO, I don't know if you've ever heard this, right, right. but it was um, to protect the world, particularly Western Europe, from the uh, evil Ruskies. And sounds right. From all the shows that we've done previously, talking about the Marshall Plan, reading between the lines, it seemed to me that there was more to the story than defending the world against the evil Ruskies. And right. what I've been trying to do is pick through the, the source material to try and find out really what happened. And I think by the end of these next two episodes, we will have reached what I believe is a fairly solid conclusion based on the evidence about why NATO was created. So stay tuned for that at the end of the next episode. Then we're going to go draw a line under this part of the NATO story and we'll we'll, yes. we'll do something else. We'll, we'll talk about, you know. We'll figure it out. Yeah. 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 Right now in the story, it's mid-1948 yeah. and it's a bit of a right. Mexican standoff. Still racist, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> between what do they call it in Mexico? A Mexican standoff? Do they call it a uh, uh, just a standoff? Just a standoff? Just a, stand- <laughs> <laughs> a local standoff? <laughs> I don't know. I, they call I, it. I, I they call know. it family reunion. Is what they call it. It's <laughs> just a family reunion. <laughs> yes, uh, exactly. A standoff between the biggest economies in the Europe and the US. Um, no, mm-hmm. nobody wants to make the first move. There's a general agreement that right. they should do something, uh, some sort of a um, united military uh, defence right. pact, but mm-hmm. uh, what and how and who, who's who's yeah. on first, uh, <laughs> why's on second, what's on third, it's all up in the air. What's on second, why's on third, right. But... But to get back to your original question, um, and I think we talked about this at the end of the last episode, uh, the Vandenberg Resolution, the very powerful senator from Michigan, uh, he he was senator from like 1928 to 1951. The point is, when he does his resolution saying, American President Truman, you should do something to protect the free world, us and Europe from the Ruskies, like you were saying, the point is, uh, that gives the rest of the Americans who are very gun shy about this, that gives them political cover because here's this powerful, prominent senator who is a Republican, the uh, the political enemy of Truman going, you should do this. Yes, he's a Republican, but he's also an American patriot. Those are the best kind. And uh, so he gives Truman the political cover he needs if Truman so chooses 
uh, to move forward. And so so for everything that's about to happen, I think it's fair to say that at least on this side of the Atlantic, that um, having a Democrat and a Republican come together and go, you know, this would probably be a good thing. We don't know the details yet. We got to work all that out. But it would be a good thing. I think that allowed a lot of this to move forward. So there's at least one name that should be on the list about how NATO eventually comes into being. Yeah. Although, yeah. devil's in the details with all these things. Absolutely. And as Absolutely. we'll get into over the next couple the of French. episodes, the devil's in the French. Yeah. yeah. And the French <laughs> are in the details. And uh, <laughs> the, one of the big problems that the Americans had, yeah, apart from domestic political stuff like uh, don't want to be too uh, soft on communism, uh, don't want to appear right. to be soft on communism because we've all, all already turned that into the great existential evil of our time. Um, yes. Th- and we, we also don't want our American boys being sent over there to die in foreign lands for no good reason. Yeah. The other we've done enough. big problem is yeah. they don't have any money. I mean, they've got more money than everyone else put together, but they don't have any budget allocated. They don't even have enough budget allocated for the U.S. military you know yes, what they want d- domestically, let alone right. paying for some yeah. other military uh, uh, on the other side of the world. So, yeah. this, or several militaries, yeah. Which is yeah. why, from the the American perspective, during these negotiations, is that yeah, if we could sum it up, the Americans are saying to the Europeans, mostly the British and the French, mm-hmm. uh, "Well, right. you show us what you're going to do to defend yourselves, and then." We will yes. tell you what we're prepared to do. And the right. Europeans are saying, well, we're not going <laughs> to do anything in you till, until you tell us what you're going to do because, right. quite honestly, by ourselves we can't do shit. So we'd just be making it up. Right. You don't want us to just make shit up, do you? Do you? Do you? Right. <laughs> do, do, do you? Do you? <gasps> you do. You do? Ooh, David. Yeah. So no, this, you can't do that. this is dance going yeah. on. So anyway. Formal talks after the Vandenberg resolution and after Truman gives his little talk, there is this agreement, oh, maybe we should all get together. And so there's formal talks between European countries, Canada and the Mm – I'm still not exactly sure why Canada's involved in this. Like, And I'll tell you in just a second why, but go ahead. Okay. Or I can tell you now. Tell me now. Yeah. Okay. Well, it turns out – and we we don't give Canada – enough credit. We, we we love its maple syrup, but we don't get it, give it enough credit. It turns out that Canada's foreign minister, Louis St. Laurent, I don't know how to say his name, St. Laurent, he, at the end of April of 1948, he was the first um, U, um, North American or European major uh, uh, diplomat or whatever, a politician, to actually say in public, uh, there is a need for collective security. So everybody's, what the hell are you doing? Anyway, um, it was nice to see up your nose that deeply. I really appreciate that. So everybody's whispering it and they're having meetings behind closed doors, but this guy comes out and says it. Uh, and so again, it's like this thing about the the genies out of the bottle, almost, if you will, because some, you know, so even though yeah, it's Canada, it's Canada. Uh, a foreign minister said, but still, again, it's, it's like, it's like a, Trial balloon, you know, it's out there now. It's out there. The idea is out there. So mm. they're they're coming around to it. So anyway, the European countries, Canada yeah. and the US started formal talks in July 1948 in Washington, basically a bunch of ambassadors, no military representatives. No. Journalist. No. Why? 
Why? Because the Amer mm. yeah, the Americans did not want the Europeans to get too hopeful, so they didn't bring any guys in uniforms, which goes back to the point that you just made about America's going, show me your cards, and the Europeans are going, show me your cards, and I'll show you mine as soon as you show me yours. You're not getting anywhere. So when they do have these meetings, and there's five very important meetings, the Americans purposefully do not bring anybody in in, in the uniform because they don't want the Europeans going, oh, maybe we can just sit back and cruise, and, and America will do it all for us. Uh, America, like you said, we don't have the money, we don't have the men, and America was quite – and how do you sell that? To your country people, hey, we're going to take care of Europe from now on. They're not going to have to lift, lift a finger. We're going to pay for everything. There's no way the American people would go for that. No. Sorry. Uh, yet. And then give it a couple of years and America's... <laughs> King of the world! The story, yeah. the story changes. The front of the ship. Uh. Right. But this right. is how the story changed. This is the story about how the story the became story. the story. Yes. How did America yes. go from... Ooh. Yeah, we don't really want to be involved in the rest of the world's dime. problems uh, to exactly. uh, we are now the official policeman of the world. <laughs> Unofficially <laughs> official, we've decided official that we will do it. Police, and you end up with, you know, exactly. trillion-dollar Pentagon budgets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, journalist Don Cook was one of the longest-serving full-time Paris-based American foreign correspondents uh, in the 20th century. He worked for the New York Herald Tribune from 1943 to 1964 and the Los Angeles Times from 1964 to 1989. It's 46 Mm. years he was Paris-based foreign correspondent. Nice. Wrote a book. Good job. About NATO called Forging the Alliance. And Mm. He talks about the first five days of the this ambassador get together, sit down, right. parlay, right. if you will. Right. Um, he, right. he basically called it a chase around in circles on a high plateau, rather like a Viennese minuet with the dancers approaching each other, bowing, touching hands, retreating, turning, circling, <laughs> and then approaching to bow again and to prepare to start the dance, which is. What making love to you? It was like in right. Las Vegas. A lot of lot of formal yeah. bowing. Cur- so you got to catch me. Curtsying. Yeah, yeah a lot of curtsying. Yeah. A lot of winking. <laughs> a lot of winking. A lot of licking of the lips, and then you know, oh, getting turned on. Hiding in the Are bathroom. Open the door up. Poke your head out. Little leg comes out of the bathroom. Close the door again. Oh, quit telling everybody. Or well, they can just see the video for themselves. <laughs> if for nineteen ninety five, if they pay the money, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Robert, so there's a lot of dancing. A lot of dancing. Yeah. Robert Lovett, um, yeah. Under Secretary of State, then later to become Truman's Defense Secretary during the Korean War. Uh, right. He was the representative from the U.S. and he's a big player in this whole thing. When asked what kind yeah. of commitment the U.S. was prepared to make during these meetings, he refused to offer any kind of answer. He right. said he was just there to listen. Just, just here to yeah. see what's going yeah. on. Exploratory. Yeah, Exploratory. I'm, I'm just, I'm not even here. Can't see me. No, pretend like yeah. it, it was kind of like me and Heather the first five years. It was all exploratory. Yeah, yeah you can't just <laughs> wax on, wax on. You can't see me. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, Robert Lovett <clears throat> was the son of Robert S. Lovett. I'm always fascinated. What does that name familiar? I'm always fascinated right. by these guys who are um, – High up in the the administration in these years, and their backgrounds, yeah. their interests, uh, you know, their their upbringings. 
He was the son of Robin right. S. Lovett, president and chairman of the board of the Union Pacific Railroad and a oh. director of both the National City Bank of New York and of Western Union, which... My dad, yeah. Funnily yeah. enough, was the name of the alliance <laughs> of the European countries yes. at this stage. The Western <laughs> Union was what they were calling And he was like, well, I'm a director of the Western Union. Uh, you should so put my son... I should- well, it's his yeah, son. Yeah, you can get yeah. my son down there. You know, it's in the family blood. Yeah. No, but all these guys, yeah. like, they're all the sons of rich dudes. Uh, yes. uh, my daddy got me this job. Democratic yeah. Yeah. Uh, fundraisers or Royalty, supporters, almost. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Just lots of political lineage. American blue bloods, yeah. you know, American elites, yes. all these guys. Um, Unlike us. Uh, Robert Lovett, uh, the son, that is, also chaired the Lovett Committee to advise the Truman mm-hmm. government on the post-World War II organisation of US intelligence activities, which led to the creation of the CIA. And right, he was a key lot. guy yeah. at Brown Brothers Harriman. Now, Brown Brothers Harriman, long-time listeners will know, comes up regularly on this show and on the Bullshit Filter mm-hmm. Uh, major Wall Street firm, other other senior people at Brown Brothers Harriman in the mm-hmm. early 20th century included Prescott yeah. Bush and George Herbert Walker, the I've heard of them. scions yes. of the Bush family, um, right. and Avril Harriman, who we've talked about a lot. Wasn't he fucking Didn't he, fucking Winston Churchill's daughter or something? He banged, like he that? banged, he banged, he banged. Yeah, he banged uh, a Churchill. He banged his daughter. He banged. He banged. I, I seem to recall Sorry. his daughter was a flatmate with <laughs> Churchill's daughter during World yes, War Two, yes. and then Harriman yes. ended up fucking used that Churchill's yes. daughter. That's why I do not. Oh, daughter-in-law. Invite might have been Churchill's right. daughter-in-law. Daughter, yeah. Daughter-in-law. Yeah, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. But my daughter's friends come over all the time. And they got uh, married, I think, why, in the end. She yeah. left Churchill's son mm-hmm. and married Avril yeah, Harriman, Randolph. I think. Yeah, hey, he's got more money. Yeah. Uh, oh, I do want to just point, point this out real quick, and this is connected to you, so I apologize. When the Western Union Defense Organization was created, it was the Europeans trying to show the Americans and the Canadians, look, we're serious about this. We're not just coming empty-handed, mostly empty-handed, but we have this at least I have a business card that says Western Union Defense Organization, or my favorite, WUDO. Um, and so they did want to show the Americans that they were trying to do something. They were trying to meet the Americans halfway by forming up and organizing their re- their resources and their personnel. They wanted to have something to bring to the table. Please continue. And, of course, they had a theme song. WUDO oh, missed the boat that day he left the shack. That was all he missed, and he ain't coming back. back. Tombstone bar in a juke joint jar. He made a stop. <clears throat> Just long enough to grab a handle off the top. Next stop, Chart Town. Ludo put the money down. Anyway, in the good old days, we would have just played that song right. for three minutes and sang along. But is it, it is it too early for the harmonica solo? <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> Uh, That's my mouth. Organ. If you want to know, more, go ahead. If you want to know more about the uh, Bush and Walker families right. and Brown brothers, Harry men, and how they made the family fortune from Nazi Germany, listen to Bullshit Filter number twenty-seven. There you go. One member of the British Embassy said that the U.S. attitude during these talks 
was that of some modern Minerva ready to lend its shield to the good cause of European democracy, but not prepared to promise to descend into the earthly European arena and become evolved itself should trouble occur. So the US is like a a Greek goddess um, (laughs) looking down upon puny earthlings Right. And nothing strange. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like we're we we're interested, but oh, we're not gonna yeah. get involved yeah. yet. Come on over. So even yeah, even it. at this late stage, the US is still dancing around the issue of exactly how and when it would get involved. Apparently to the annoyance of all of the ambassadors there. Right. Um now Bolin and Cannon, uh, we've talked about these guys a lot over the years. Uh they're the experts on the Soviet Union. Right. In the State Department, they're still trying to put the brakes on any kind of military commitment at all yes. from the US. Their argument is always, A, um, this whole idea that the Soviet Union is going to try and take over the world is wrong. Yes. yes. It's bullshit. Yeah. Uh, you're all smoking something. <laughs> uh, they've, got, they've got enough fucking problems. Yeah. And that's the last thing on their mind. Yeah. And secondly... If we commit to a military alliance against the Soviet Union, we're just going to piss them off. And, yes. You know, we're probably going to end up in, I don't know, let's call it maybe a Cold War, which <laughs> would just, you know, not be Drain. a good thing for the human race in general. Exactly. Uh, yes. Could bring us all to the verge of like a nuclear conflict. Let's let's not do that. Yeah. Let's not. That's not let's good. avoid that. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone was like, shut the fuck up, you guys. What the, what the fuck do you know? They were like, well, a lot, actually. They're like, no, yeah. no, yeah. we don't care. We're experts. He, you know, he's just intellectuals. We don't like, yeah, we yeah. don't like experts. That's right. In the Truman White House. Listen, if we'd listened to the experts, yeah. we wouldn't have dropped two nuclear bombs on Japanese civilians. So, <laughs> you know, you're yeah. welcome. Yeah, I prefer gut instinct over intellect, uh, science, or anything like that any day. Yeah, so what I found funny was, you're absolutely right, the French are completely freaking out about a revitalized Germany, and the Americans keep going, no, 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 don't fear Germany, we've already cracked that egg. What you should fear, and I'm kind of making you fear, is uh, you know millions of Soviet troops coming over the border and just taking all of Europe. And again, these guys are going, look, we live there, we know people, we've talked to people, they are not gearing up for some massive war. And America's like, oh, well, just in case, we'd better act like they are, you know, game theory. And so the Americans... Even though they're only listening to the Europeans, they want to hear what they're willing to do to be ready to stop the Soviets who aren't coming anytime soon. Charles Bolin said that the U.S. should be careful not to adopt measures here, which would be weakly provocative. Yes. Now, Good point. big shame he isn't around today saying uh, <laughs> Taiwanese uh, president coming? Yeah. No, I don't. I don't, yeah. don't think that's a good idea. Like uh, Speaker of the House McCarthy going to yeah. Taiwan? Yeah, no, I, 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 I don't. I don't. I don't see that as being a good idea. Uh, yeah. I think that's you know. Uh, or is it a brilliant idea? Let's upset China just enough, but not enough to overwhelm them and make them come to the negotiating table. It's like going up to a bear, slapping it, and going. I didn't really mean it. And then running like hell. I mean, yeah, don't piss them off and then not be able to handle it. That's what a lot of Europeans are worried about. Uh, worked out really well for the Ukrainians, didn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. To this day. Um, so anyway, yeah. um, they they ignored Bolin and Kennan's concerns 
Eventually, the ambassadors uh, threw the job of working out the details over to an international working group. I love that. Let's let someone else handle the details. That's the kind of orders I should be giving. Let someone yeah, else handle it. That's the job it. you want. That's yeah, what it I was is made the kind for. of job you've got. That is the job you've got. Uh, you 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 know found someone who will handle the details, right. and you just have to go. Look, I was there. I was in the room when it happened. I brought when them details the details were decided. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I pulled up Wikipedia. I mean, they didn't. So 50-50. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, GPT. Yeah. GPT yeah. in this case, yeah. No, but the point is they literally have these five meetings. The Americans keep saying, we're not here to say anything. We're here to listen. The, the And the Europeans are going, we're here to hear you. And the Americans go, I'm not saying anything. So finally, after five meetings in, in July, I think it's in, no, it's 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 still the summer of 19, early summer of 1948, but they literally kick it down the road to a subordinate group. But these are the guys who really take this stuff seriously and they get down and they deal with those details, those deviled details that you were talking about earlier. They try to hash this stuff out. Yeah. And this working group is basically run by uh, Hickerson and Achilles, the hick and the ack. (laughs) The two, the two big, the two big guns from the uh, State Department. Right. We've talked about him before. John Hickerson, director of the Office of European Affairs, and Theodore Achilles, greatest name. name ever. Yes, head of the Office of Western European Affairs at the State Department. Achilles chaired the drafting committee that essentially wrote the report that became the basis for the North Atlantic Treaty. Exactly. And it took him about three months every day grinding away in a yeah. hot little room, no air conditioning, sleeves September. rolled up, yes. everyone chain yes. smoking, yes. Uh, farting, sweating. Swamp, swamp ass. Just, just swamp. everything. Trust me. Initially, DC and stuff, it was uh, going to be called yeah. the Swamp Ass Treaty. That was the original <laughs> name for it. But they decided on... Atlantic or something else instead. I put put the word Atlantic in there. Americans love that shit. Not swamp it was originally S A T O. It was the Swamp Ass <laughs> Treaty Organization, and then they just that was the working title. Not as sexy. The Swamp Ass Treaty. Not as sexy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, but depends the, if you're but, into swamp ass or not. But what, uh, and I don't want to jump ahead, but the great irony, and you just said this a couple of minutes ago, you said the Americans are not really looking to do anything. It's not so much lip service, but we're, we literally do not want to be committed to anything because that's not the American way. And so what happens is they have these five meetings with the ambassadors. Nothing really happens except for the French keep pissing everybody off. And I think that happens in the second group of meetings as well. But the point is the subgroup, they actually, because they're not ambassadors because they're not top tier because no, everybody's not staring at them. There's a lot less pressure for them. And they literally sit down and they grind this out. And what's going to happen by the end of September, the Americans are going to have a working report that they can actually work with if they wanted to. They weren't expecting that. It just kind of happened. So when, I think even the Americans were taken off, taken off, taken by surprise. In one year, this thing gets worked out, even though that was not their initial goal at the beginning of 1948. I just, I just found that amazing because these guys looked, took it seriously, worked hard for three months, and produced what the ambassadors could not. And some of the stories about these negotiations mm-hmm. uh, I find fascinating. Right. Uh, the French, for example, Yay. wanted this new pact to include all of France's colonial possessions. That sounds that sounds democratic. Uh, yeah. yeah. The Dutch wanted allowances for their continued control over the East Indies. Yes, please. Uh 
So uh, for people who don't know about Indonesia, they Indonesia under I think it was under Sukarno had declared independence after Japan surrendered at the end of World War II, a bit like Ho Chi Minh right. did in Vietnam. Yeah. Um, but this time, instead of it independence from the French as it was in Vietnam, this is independence from the Dutch who had occupied yeah. uh, Indonesia or, or the East Indies as they called them before World War II. Like uh, but the Dutch, like the French, right. were trying to get it back. Yes. Uh, in this ours. case, the Dutch are trying to get assistance from the British yes. to get back Indonesia, like the French were trying to get assistance from the US to get back Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Um, the And Belgium wanted to bring the Belgian Congo into the Atlantic Pact on the basis that it was the main supplier of uranium to the United States, which all of a sudden had become quite important to them. Right. Um so here you've got supposedly mm-hmm. NATO being formed by the good guys against the bad guys being the Ruskies, and the good guys are like, yeah, we want to keep all of our colonial possessions and uh, around the world, and we oh. want them rolled oh. into this. I just <laughs> so if anyone attacks yeah. one of our colonial Possess- dominions, exactly, yeah, we we want the rest of the uh, NATO alliance to come to its defense because hey. Right. You don't fucking take our darkies right. from us. They're That's our right. darkies. That's right, not we yours. We got there first yes. with our sailing ships a couple of hundred years ago. Our, our darkies. And our cannons. Our natural resources. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Is that like American slave owners writing the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence? Just wondering. Just. They they did write the <laughs> Declaration of Independence. Oh, and, they did. And they were slave owners. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Please yeah. continue. Sorry. Yeah. It's also like the slave owners negotiating reparations for themselves uh, when slavery ended. Yes. It's like, well, listen, we got to be this is gonna, yeah, this is gonna hurt. This is gonna (laughs) hurt our bottom line. We we need to get looked after here. Yes, yes. (laughs) Um, so fascinate, like I'm always fascinated by that. These countries. You know the the Western Europeans, supposedly the the enlightened good guys, right? Um, yeah, really, just yeah. a bunch of evil cunts, really, yeah. um, and, and wanted to keep their evil cuntiness uh, tied up in right. NATO. The U.S. pushed back uh, yes. and said, you... uh, "Your colonial problems, uh, yours to sort out." Yes, and no, you can't yeah. have you know to, to the credit of the United States right. in a way. But let's let's always remember here that the reason the U.S. pushed back on these 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 colonial mm-hmm. um, powers occupations right. wasn't out of any sense of uh, moral uh, obligation. I mean, mm-hmm. at the same time, they're going to end up in Vietnam uh, for the next twenty five years. Uh, trying to help the French get it back or at least stop the communists from taking control. Yes. It was because the U.S. needed um, open trading blocks around the world and they didn't want any of these countries controlling their own little mini trading blocks. Exactly. Like the British had their own, the French had their own, the Dutch had their own. to all. Yes. Open door policy we've talked about in earlier episodes. So it really wasn't out of any sense of moral obligation to the indigenous peoples of these countries. Right. It was about, no, 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 no. We yeah. want that. Yeah. We want access yeah. to that. 
Fair. You don't get to exactly. You, know, you don't Close get to that, that. You have to let exactly. go. Yeah. If if yeah. I may if I may get meta for a second, there are cunts in this meeting, but there's cunts within cunts. Let me explain. The, these two Americans that you mentioned uh, a minute ago, Achilles and the other guy. Uh, so they're sitting there trying to literally hash out on paper with words and letters, you know, the, the, the structure for this thing. And during all of this, the French ambassador, Bonet, I can't remember his name, not the ambassador, the guy they sent. Uh, anyways, I can't remember his name. He's like, look, I don't want to talk about any of these ideals or anything. Yeah, thank you. I don't want to talk about any of these ideas. All I want to know is what, how many weapons are we going to get and when we're going to get them. Everything else is bullshit because I don't think y'all are going to be able to pull this off. And we just want to be able to, to, to defend ourselves when either Germany gets their act together or the Russians come. So they're trying to have these ideas. They're trying to make compromises and work with each other. And again, most of the work was done by the Americans and the British, but the French guy just kept going, where's our guns? Where's our weapons? Where's our tank? Tanks would be good. We really like tanks. When are you going to send us stuff? That's all he did. So the fact that everybody in that room hated the French actually helped them get along better. So France did serve a very important role. They pissed everybody off to the point where they all united against the French representative. We all have a role to play, but it did help with the camaraderie of the group. And the French being annoying obviously wasn't anything new. We know that during World War II, the French, especially de Gaulle, was always annoying the US yes. and the UK. Um, <laughs> but on the other hand, we have to remember um, the, the French perspective here. Let's yes, keep in mind that true. during the early years of World War II, the US just sat there and let France get invaded and let the UK get the shit bombed out of it. Yeah. And the U.S. just sat there on the sidelines and ate popcorn like Michael Jackson and just watched it going on until uh, it was about halfway through. Oh, we did. And, and, you know, okay, here we it's go. Like a, it's like a like a, tea, a two 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 on two wrestling match. <laughs> They're watching their buddy out there get hit with metal chairs and pile drived for. <laughs> The first to... half of the thing, and then they come and slap their hand, and they jump in and finish the guy off at the end. Um, so you know, France. So uh, France had been, you know, invaded, occupied by the Nazis, militarily defeated, of course. Right. Very traumatic for the yes. French people. Six weeks. And and right now in in forty eight, they've got this growing socialist movement in France. Right. They've just seen what's happened in Czechoslovakia. The the Berlin blockades going on. Um, so you've got this situation where the French have like just within the last couple of years. Yes. Uh, well, in the last you know whatever two, decade, two and a half. Yeah. Oh, I see. I'm sorry. Well, I was in, in the last. In the last decade, they got invaded by the Nazis. Right. Um, they've Occupy. managed to get their freedom, but now they've got the socialists coming at them. Right. That, that, that they their their sense of their existential dread is, is real. Real yes. is real. Justified. Right. They, yes. And they're they're like, we don't want some sort of wishy washy promise of future support. We right. need support now. We Guns need military bullets. support yeah. from the U.S. and we need it now. Because yes. we're fighting the socialists in our own country, it's not a civil war, but politically right. they're fighting the socialists who are quite popular. Yeah, and they're worried that you know something could happen now, and you're sitting here, you know, it's all yeah. highfalutin talk about Ideals. you know brotherhood and yes. yeah, we, brotherhood of we man. need help now yeah. because the French and the British 
and everyone else from Western Europe are very well aware that if shit goes down tomorrow, yes, we're fucked. We got yes. nothing. We, the Americans we, we, can't, we can't defend ourselves. Exactly. The Soviets, Red Army could roll in mm-hmm. with a million boots on the ground, and yes. we're fucked. Just, we got nothing. So, yeah. just we want we want you to promise something. Then yeah, just tell us. Yeah. And America's like, eh, yeah. nah, well, no, if, we're not going to do that. If I can give a slight counter to that, you're absolutely right in what you said. But what what one of the Americans said to someone else, he didn't say to the French uh, representative because by this time he wasn't talking to them, him. He said something along, along the lines of, you know, if he would shut up and we could get this agreement done and it's approved, arms will start to flow. It will happen. You don't have to badger us. It will happen. But going back to your point. Will it happen soon enough? That's the question. That's what. That's the million-dollar question. The French cannot answer because nobody can answer. No one but Stalin. So, so everybody else in the room is going. Look, you'll eventually get weapons, and the French are going. I don't know if that's soon enough. And so they kept badgering them. So, so it's a legitimate point. But the Americans were like, "We'll get to you eventually." Well, yeah, but even at this stage, the Americans didn't know what they were going to be able to offer. Absolutely, really. Yeah, no. All they had was down the road commitment from Truman that they probably should do something. Yes, yes. So, I mean, but getting back to the panic of the French and the British, if Mm -hmm. the Soviets were to invade, and let's again, let's repeat the fact that according to Boland and Cannon. Uh, the Soviets weren't going to invade, weren't planning to invade, right. um, but everyone else seems to have convinced themselves that they were, and if they were going to do it, mm-hmm. they weren't going to invade the US. It was going to be Western Europe. They were yeah. going to, yeah. you know, ride down the Autobahn and mm-hmm. uh, start just picking up countries uh, <laughs> left and right. And, uh, you know, the, the French and the British were genuinely uh, scared about what this might mean. Bidot who yeah. was about to be replaced as the French foreign minister, Right, was pushing a plan at the Hague Convention for a European assembly that we mentioned in earlier episodes being uh, run by Winston Churchill's son um, with the support of Winston Churchill, mm-hmm. uh, but not the support of Clement Attlee uh, or Bevins. The, French, the actual French go- uh, British government didn't want to get involved in it. Right. Um, largely because it was uh, one of Churchill's ideas. Yes. <laughs> and they didn't want to. They didn't want to give yeah. him any more. No. Uh, no. Thank any you for his service. Than he had. Go. Yeah. Oh, now fuck off. Just real quick, as far as Soviets invading. No, hold on. No, go ahead. I didn't even finish my sentence. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. He's pushing a. Just fucking wait your turn. I've been telling you this for nine years. I I'll tell you when and you can talk. I'll give you delete. I'll give you the wink when you can talk. Just don't <laughs> don't get, I get confused with the wink. Is it the left eye or the right eye? One is blow me and the other one is talk. My middle eye. Yeah. I'll give oh. you a wink with my middle eye. Yeah. Yeah. Please, please continue. I apologize. Bedeau was pushing this plan at the Hague Convention that uh, at least in terms of a vision mm-hmm. for uh, the way that Europe should come together should be led by France. Of course it should. The French yes. should be out front yes. leading the way for the rest of the world. The Belgians were on board with this mm-hmm. plan and yep. the US were kind of giving it a nod as well. It makes sense. You know, the French actually were pushing this position that, look, uh, the U.S. haven't committed anything. Quite frankly, I don't think they're going to, mm-hmm. and I don't think they can. 
Yeah. I think the US are uh, pulling our chain. Yeah. I don't really think they're going to come to the table fast enough with anything significant. We need to take responsibility for our own future, right. and it should be led by France because we have the best cheese. And in, we all know that in, in a time of war, um, stinky cheese is what yeah, gets, you, the, gets you through. The best cheese wins. Yeah, no, but... Uh, and Go ahead. And I didn't wink. Oh, I didn't I'm wink. Watching. I was watching no, your tongue. Watch for the wink. Okay. Watch for the wink. All right. Now, of course, this whole idea that the French would be leading things mm -hmm. made the British furious, particularly when the French leaked the idea to the press, and particularly because uh, the British weren't involved officially. Right. And then Marshall, uh, George Marshall, issued a statement saying the US thought a European assembly was a pretty good idea, mm -hmm. and uh, the French media got behind it and, and 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 promoted the fact that Marshall, when the you know through Marshall, the US was supporting it. Right. So you've got this, you've got these these fractures in mm -hmm. the European assembly between. France and the UK, who are the two major parties behind us. So it's all very, very, uh, very, right. very tawdry, very, very messy. They yes. all love, love, hate. They got a hate, love, hate relationship, the British and the French, as we know, they always have had. So mm -hmm. it's like this idea that NATO came together was this clean kumbaya, um, kumbaya thing. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is very, very far from the truth. It was very dirty, very messy. No one could agree on anything, etc. Right. Uh, was now it, I'm winking. Oh, oh, okay. God, that's sexy. Was it B Badeau that said something along the lines of London cannot defend Europe? It has to be a base, you know, the military base has to be, you know, whatever, or the main part has to, has to be on the mainland. And I think that's what France's point was. Look, we're here and our country, our capital is really close to Germany. And we've decided the Rhine is going to be the, uh, the initial defensive line. So it makes more sense for the, the base of operations to be on the mainland, the part that's going to be invaded, not London, because it's over there. It's nice and safe as World War II showed. Uh, and so that was a valid point as well. And the, and like you said, the Americans were like, well, militarily, that does make sense so british the britons the brits got pissed and they sabotaged it through leaks again a very clever move uh so that's all i wanted to say on that as far as the soviets actually marching across europe and taking over there was a certain famous world war ii general who said something along the lines of and i'm paraphrasing this because i don't have it in front of me if the soviets wanted to take over europe the only thing it would cost them is a pair of shoes because like you said, they've got millions of them. Stalin doesn't care about anybody's feelings. He kept those guys in position, in ready, you know, ready to go fight for a very long time. He could have just said, march, and they would have had to have got up and started marching and attacking, or they would have been shot. The Americans wouldn't have been ready. The Europeans wouldn't have been ready. So it probably wasn't going to happen. But if it did happen, it would have been horrendously bad for the Europeans. And that's what they're trying to prepare for. Yes, hopefully it won't happen. But if it does, we're we're completely not ready. Please, America, help us. You're my only hope. <laughs> so the U.S. started showing more and more support for mm. the French plan for this European Assembly, which is basically the European Union. I mean, right. they, they were trying yes. to pitch this idea for European unity, figure out a way for Europe to combine its economic, social, and military capabilities. Mm -hmm. But the British uh, um, fought 
this, tried to stop it from happening. Yes. And managed to succeed, yes. succeed by throwing enough spanners into the works. Um, and, you know, they couldn't really do it without the British. Of course, we ended up getting the European Union and then the British ended up pulling out anyway and now seem to be uh, res- yeah. um, wishing they hadn't done that, yes. <laughs> regretting it. On many but, levels, uh, yes. But but here's the thing. Yeah. It turns out the process of scuppering it, mm-hmm. the whole European unity thing, may have had a lot to do with the ERP, the Marshall Plan. Right. Well, see, you know, the thing that's driving all of this, obviously, mm-hmm. is the stipulations in the Marshall Plan. Stipulations, as we've talked about, of there was a couple couple of stipulations in the Marshall Plan. One was if you if you're going to get U.S. money, you needed to spend it on most of it on American goods and services. Please. Secondly, uh, before you could get it, you had to deal with the socialists slash communists in your country. Yes. Um, and thirdly, in order to get it, you needed to demonstrate some sort of uh, military preparedness. Mm-hmm to stop the socialists from getting their hands on American money and goods and services. Right. So without these stipulations mm-hmm. about the Marshall Plan, Europe may have been able to achieve European unity decades before they finally did. Yes. Because, you know, the, the, all of the challenges here were based around how do we make America happy? That's what the, this whole thing was about. Yes. It was, listen, we need the we money, but before we can in. get the money, we have to make them happy. Yes, because of the stipulations on the Marshall Plan. If America yes. had just said, "Here, here's a line of credit," you know, yeah. take it, rebuild, right. God bless, um, yeah. whatever, you know, yeah, may your first child be a masculine child, <laughs> and all of those sorts of things. Um, if they just given them the money, right. Without all of the stipulations, Europe yeah. could have a started rebuilding faster, but b worked out their own sort of alliance right. union thing without having to constantly be trying to figure out how do we mm-hmm. make the Americans happy? How do we? They still would have had this issue about okay, we yeah. need to defend ourselves and we need American support to do that. But it just got it just added a level of complexity that it, to yes. this whole thing that stalled the the European Union thing from coming together, which, as it turns out, the Americans actually wanted for, you know, more reasons than just uh, protecting their investment mm-hmm. in Europe. You know, as we'll see in the next episode, America did eventually reach the conclusion that defending America um would be easier if they defended Europe. Yes. Fight over there. Yeah. To be blunt. Yeah, because if because if well, for a whole bunch of reasons, if if too many major European economies, Western European economies, become socialist, mm-hmm. they're probably going to join the Soviet bloc rather than stay in the Western bloc. So yeah. that's going to hurt us economically. And, you know, B, uh, just means that the Soviets have got, uh, you know, even bigger army, more troops, more bases uh, to launch attacks from, Mm -hmm. and, you know, potentially can take over the rest of Europe. That hurts our economy more. And then maybe they come for us. I mean, you know, it's it's long-term 
long-term strategic thinking. But at this point in sort of late 1948, they weren't quite there yet. Yeah. One of the strange, I don't know if ironies is the right word, but on July 20th, 1948, when the United States and Canada officially agreed to work with the Western Union and they were having these discussions and they were sending messages back and forth, guess who was in the room? Donald McLean told uh, the Soviets everything. I don't know if Donald McLean was in there during the ambassador's meeting, but I still think he ha- either he was or he had access to that information, which was sent on. So all this that's going on in this great secrecy in, the, in Washington in the summer, and hopefully no one's paying attention, Moscow knows about it in real time. And they're not really impressed because they can see the, the, a lot of the infighting that's going on. Now, you might think that Stalin could go, you know what, they're completely screwed up and they're not getting along. I kind of could invade. It sounds like they wouldn't be very effective fighting me. I don't know if he ever thought that. I don't know if he ever said that. But the point is, he had information knowing how screwed up they were, and yet he still did nothing. Why? Because he's trying to build almost half of his country or whatever, the important parts that have all the industry in it. He's trying to rebuild from the war. He's a little busy at the moment. And he doesn't have a bomb yet. He's still trying to get the Rusky bomb to be built. That's that's a couple of years away. I just thought of something. Does he really need Europe as long as he's got the the country, the Baltic countries, he's got Poland locked up, he's got the the way to Moscow locked up. Does he really need anything else? It's just more of a headache, you know, more money, more problems. He's got the corridor that the Western powers have been using for how many decades, closed up with his troops. He kind of got what he need. He's fine. He doesn't need to invade. He's already accomplished security for himself. It's actually the working title of his memoirs was Mo Money, Mo Problems <laughs> at the time. Um, sadly, In a Russian he accent. died. Right, right. I, I would love to hear yeah. the audio book of that one. <laughs> <laughs> Read by the author. Um, anyway, anyway, a draft agreement. Uh, this working group eventually produced a draft agreement of a transatlantic security system. It's called the Washington Paper. Right. It was sent out to uh, all of the participants on the 9th of September, 1948. It stated, no alternative to a treaty appears to meet the essential requirements. And, you know, the, the most essential of the essential requirements, obviously, was the incorporation of the United States into a transatlantic security system. Right. Now, it took another six months before the North Atlantic Treaty became a reality, but the substance for it was hashed out Mm -hmm. by Hickerson and Achilles in this working group by September of 1948. That's 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 impressive. I don't know if it was. I'm not sure how many changes were made to it, but I also think that the Americans needed time to to digest because, like you said, they weren't really planning on doing anything, committing to anything, and suddenly they have a working piece of paper, a working plan. So I, I, who knows? Maybe they just needed to sit on it for a while. But yeah, to go from we're not going to do anything, we're not really sure to by six months, by the end of September we're going to have this thing done. So again, I think even the Americans in a good way were caught off guard because they really did not want to commit um, because we're Americans and, and fuck the Europeans. Well, as we'll see in the next episode, a number of things had to happen over the course mm. of the next six months in terms of finding the money, if nothing mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- this is where America goes from being isolationist 
except for periods of world wars right. um, where the budgets went massively up the military budgets and then were pulled right back after the war, back mm-hmm. to their pre-war levels right. to where America ends up on a permanent war footing economy yes. where we'll see by 1951 the defence budget uh, in the US just skyrockets and never, ever comes back down. It's been up in the just getting higher and higher and higher pretty much consistently every year ever since and this is this is the turning point here from where america goes from being uh, an isolationist to trying to basically dominate military affairs around the world during peacetime right as well as during wartime but we'll do more on the next episode of the cold war Curtain has descended across the continent.